Live from the Zocalo, this is Drill Trains of Thought. All right, Tim. This is this is a happening place. A lot of um, a lot of activity, activity going on here. Uh, a little strange. I mean, it's pretty cool. There's like marketplace over here in one corner, then a then a bar over in this corner, and then like I can hear the sounds from a casino or something not yeah. too far from here. Yeah, it's very strange. And you know, th- some of these people really need some use way too much hair gel. Looks yeah, like. well, what is up with that? Like I don't it's know. like a, it's like a backwards mohawk or something. Yeah, I, <laughs> crazy. But I guess it's not the weirdest place we've been. And that's saying something. I mean, there's there's tons of aliens walking yeah, there's around. Yeah, there's a lot of these blue guys in like, like purple sashes or something. And, and every once in a while, we get interrupted by some political speech. Yeah. I mean... From, there, there's that lizard-looking guy, well, aliens running around. There's there's a number of them. I, I thought I heard someone say some, yell something about purple a minute ago. Yeah, and, and everyone's very excited. Like, there's... Like, someone just came back or is... I don't know what's going on. I know. I, big, I, he, big, big, there's rumblings going on in this. Signs where we are. And, signs and portents. Yeah, exactly. Obviously, yeah. But it's a cool place. I'm, I'm glad to be here for uh, our 65th episode. 65th. It's an anniversary of sorts, I guess. Yeah. Anytime a five. It's, it's a five. Yes. <laughs> Good job. We made it. Yay. And in case you don't know us, my name is Timothy Beal. Oh, yeah. And this is Nick Hayden. We don't introduce ourselves enough, I think. For. It's probably true. We're, we're just like, and you know us, and we're like, and new people are like, who are you, crazy people? <laughs> well, Nick is the the writer, and I'm the video guy, largely. There, we're, there's some overlap. Yeah, I've done a few videos, and you've done more than a few writings. Yeah, well, you're too kind. So, <laughs> so we are we pretend to be uh, experts at stuff. And somehow our podcast magically teleports us to uh, exotic locations. Which is wonderful. We've seen a lot of stuff. Yeah. Although I do find it ironic. This is the second podcast in a row we've been somewhere in space. Well, it when it's all good things going, I guess. I we, guess. Although I don't know last episode that was a good thing. No, we, we, we barely, barely escaped on yeah, that Yeah, that was a close call. There's that weird light and some montage and yeah i don't know yeah. <laughs> anyway i'm glad this place seems relatively safe yeah, kind of no, crazy no, but nothing can go wrong at this place it looks i mean there's probably never anything exciting going on here yeah <laughs> so don't jinx us Nick. no okay let's go we'll go over here by this babcom um portal and uh let's do our story school Right. So we thought we'd tackle a topic. A topic. A topic. A very topical topic. No. Uh, <laughs> no, we're going to talk about worldview in works of art, you know, stories of all sorts. And we've kind of tackled, we've got, well, we've talked about this sort of thing a lot. Yeah. Um, we've talked about how in our own, because Nick and I were both Christians. We both uh, tend to not preach through our stories, but we know that our faith will influence them in yeah. some way. We've said this many times. And, and we've mentioned, we had a whole podcast talking about message movies where kind of the worldview comes, is, is the point of the movie. Yes. Or the book or whatever. And we pointed out that technically all stories have something that they're trying to say, but we thought maybe we could dig into that a little bit more. So I guess we should first do a definition about worldview. Mm. So worldview is basically, if you don't know, it's it's a bigger word now than it used to be. I think it gets talked about a lot or name dropped a lot in uh, 
Christian and students kind of studies. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it gets used outside of that, but most people tend to talk about religion or, that's true. Or, uh, political stuff, but Christian students and colleges and stuff, they really like, we use it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it, it encapsulates a lot because it's not just a religion. It, it's a philosophy. It's, it's basically, uh, it's kind of a personal, um, theory of everything. Yeah. I mean, basically how does the world, how, how, how do, do you, the world work and how do the different parts of your world interrelate yeah, how, in, in a cohesive whole? And how do you understand taking all your inner beliefs about science and yeah. religion and logic and all these things? How does how do you interpret the world around you based on that stuff? And I think a lot of people don't necessarily have a cohesive worldview, meaning they have a worldview about politics and the worldview about religion and the worldview about entertainment, but they don't necessarily coalesce together in a logical way. Mm -hmm. I think you can watch movies sometimes that way where you feel like you're like having a double take where there's three on one things going this way and then you then another character does something else, you're just like, what? That doesn't even <laughs> consistently make sense, at least from an outsider's point of view. Right, right. So that's sort of the the definition. And I know you were thinking about this recently watching a certain movie. So let, maybe we'll just start there as, a, as an example, jumping off point. Well, okay. And that's, we want to tackle this on two fronts. Uh, first of us, we wanted to look at kind of an audience's perspective. Like when you're, you're just watching a movie and, uh, you know, it's very easy to take in movies or books. Books, you tend to, have, it requires a little bit more thought. thought. Yeah. But, you know, movies, plays, music, that kind of thing, it's very easy to just kind of let that wash over you and not really think about, well, where is the author coming from? You just kind of, it's very easy to accept these visual me means verbatim and not really yeah. think about how is it influencing and you in that like way. like implicitly what's underneath these decisions. Yes. I mean, because someone would just say, oh yeah, we're going, it's always good for the good guy to win. Right. But why? Yeah. You know. <laughs> and, and there's always some like mutual shared ground that yeah. you know a lot of people have there's most people there's there's some very basic things that a lot of people can agree on yeah and there's probably a reason for that but we might no. come back to that <laughs> um then the second thing which we'll get to we'll touch on just briefly later will be more from a creator perspective how have we as creators in seen it work and 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 try to include it or yeah. or accidentally include it in our own work <laughs> sometimes <yes>. yeah <laughs> But first, from the the audience perspective, because like like I said, well, there's that phrase, garbage in, garbage yeah, out. Yeah. So not to completely trash, pun intended, some uh, creators' worldviews, but it's good for you to understand where they're coming from, so you you know you don't just take it without a grain of salt. Yeah, exactly. It, I know, like when I watch movies, like Zach and I will go watch a movie, and we'll, we'll like if we're in Fort Wayne, we'll talk all the way home about the movie, analyzing whatever. And other people don't do that. They just want to watch the movie and be done with it. Yeah. <laughs> but so it's an escape for Yeah. And, which and which is fine. But yes. You and I tend to work on the level of wait, what is in this? Why do they do that? Does that make sense? Et cetera. Exactly. Okay. So the movie Nick was talking about <laughs> that uh it's funny, we'd already been thinking about doing this as a topic. And then I recently saw Into the Woods. Musical. The musical, which came the, out. The movie version. Yes, the movie version. Just came out in 2014, I believe. Yeah, I saw it in the theater. Yeah, it was like the end of the year. And I might have mentioned on the podcast, but I don't remember. You might have. I, I looked for it, though, and I couldn't find okay, it. Okay, so, so it was I, a small bit if yeah, I mentioned it. Yeah, yeah. If someone knows where it is, <laughs> if he did talk about it, you win 100 kudos. Da-da. <laughs> It's a very interesting musical. Some very cool parts, 
But I found some of the ideas sort of insidious. And I don't mean that in the sense of like the filmmakers are planning, ooh, ha, we're going to corrupt children's minds. Ha. Not that at all. But I don't remember if this is in screw tape letters or not. But the devil can use true ideas, good ideas to hide bad ones yeah. pretty easily. And I felt that there was a lot of that going on in Into the Woods. If you don't know the the play or the musical, it's basically a bunch of fairy tale characters. They combine a lot of their stories. They go into the woods where a lot of this happens, and they're trying to they're trying to basically get the happy. I mean, I guess the main one, if I remember correctly, the baker's trying to get a a daughter, a daughter, the baker and his wife. Yeah, I mean, which are ironically they're not actually from a fairy tale that I'm aware of. They feel very fairy fairy tale ish. It, it does, and they tie it in well with the witch from from Rapunzel, and at some point they meet Little Red Riding Hood and Jack from Jack and the Beanstalk is involved. Yeah. So there's a lot of fairy tale stuff going on and it all interweaves really cool. Yeah, they do do that very well. Well, and the funny thing about the musical too, and this is kind of spoilerish, but anyone could, I mean, this has been out there since the 1980s, so yeah. <laughs> the statute of limitations has passed. <laughs> but in the musical, the first act is basically kind of they're past pretty, you know, they, they're, they intertwine, but they basically all come to kind of what is would be a traditional happily ever after. Then you get, you get to act two and you start seeing how the consequences of their actions play out and how, you know, some people who you thought were, were good or not so good and some people who were bad. And it's like, well, you know, you have to look from their perspective and it all gets very, very gray in the second yeah. act. Yeah, I remember just being, yeah. The problem I have with this, and we've complained about this sort of thing once upon a time, and honestly, I think... This is one of the first postmodern takes on fairy tales I think might have kind of sparked the trend that we've seen since this play came out. I mean, the, the idea that people aren't perfect, that people make mistakes, that you you do need to see from the other side's perspective, be able to forgive all that, the very true things, yeah. you know, and that's very in line with, you know, Christianity. What gets problematic is at, in one of the songs where they're kind of exploring the, these ideas, the adults tell two of the kids there, Jack and Red, basically, you kind of you decide what's good, you yeah. decide what's bad, basically, because no one, because there is no standard, no one is the flag bearer. That means that morality is pretty much up to you to figure out. And if, that's right near the end, isn't it? Yeah, like, and much. So, it's so weird because like it ends with this triumphant note musically and emotionally. I was just feeling like. Oh, it was just, it was a weird dichotomy for me watching it. Uh-huh. Being like, those words are just fluff and meaningless, except you're singing it like it's like the triumph of the play. Yeah, it, it's funny because the, like the final song too has something to do with like, beware of what stories you're, you're telling your kids yeah. because they will have, they will learn from that and they will have consequences, yeah. to, you know, what you tell your children and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and it's like, well, yeah, your story itself has, but because they paint it in, because they paint it with all these decent ideas around it. There's this middle core of it that's like very subversive that could be very easily overlooked. And and it really tries to undermine the idea that fairy tales largely were set up to teach kids that I mean yeah. one of the lessons were and it's like, well, you can't believe all that stuff because life doesn't work that way. Right. And th- and that's the thing. Like I don't have a problem pointing out to kids that like, you know, we want to tell, you know, sometimes the devil dresses as an angel of light yeah. that no one's perfect. All yeah. the Bible characters had flaws. Yeah. That's all true, but when you are very purposely doing it in the fairy tale setting where things are kind of meant to be more black and white and then you're kind of wiping that away, you're introducing some very, in my opinion, dangerous moral ideas yeah. there. And it, it is very interesting that you had that reaction. I did 
I got curious and I looked up one, I knew some internet person who had done the vlog about it, like after seeing yeah. it. So I went and looked at it and he, and he was like, yeah, they, uh, the musical is actually ends a lot more upbeat than this. Cause they trim, obviously they trim a lot of stuff out yeah. and it's like the whole thing is like very gray in terms of like cinematography wise. And it should be a lot more triumphant at the end. And I just thought that was interesting because it, it the cinematography to me kind of fit the very dark turn that yeah. the whole story had taken. Yeah. Well, I guess this is one lesson from from a viewer's point of view for worldview is that sometimes it's not, especially musicals, but how a movie or whatever will portray it versus what's actually being said are not necessarily the same thing. Yeah. Well, and I imagine from a creator's perspective who agrees with whatever, you know, they wrote in, true. in their play, they're probably thinking it is triumphant because we get to decide, yeah, don't just kind of go go off the facts. We've come to a new understanding. Yeah. We get to decide our own morality. But, but, and for them, that is a triumph. But but I think that's the thing is that we're looking worldview. You have to disengage the emotions from the logic. Mm. Yeah, and that's hard because sometimes you'll watch something, you'll you'll feel good, and then you look at what you're feeling good about, and you're like, uh, well, should should I? Have? Because that's what movies do; they make you feel good about things that movie makers want you to feel good about. Which is why I've I've long been suspicious of documentaries as a uh, well as a form in general. I mean, unless you're doing like a historical one, which even those are liable to uh, to bias and aliens. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, documentaries, they're very purposely leading you, most of them, sometimes you get you find some that are very um, balanced, yeah. but a lot of them are very purposely leading you to a certain conclusion, and you're just going with it based on, you know, these interviews, these experts who seem to yeah. know what they're talking about. You don't really have time because they're leading you on this emotional journey necessarily to investigate everything they're talking about or, mm -hmm. you know, a book you can sit down and think about for a little bit, but yeah, a documentary like, you're, I mean, you could pause it, but most people no. don't. Yeah. So it's definitely something to be aware of as an audience in, in filmmaking I in think, general. You think it's worth maybe discussing a few things like big ideas of worldview that you could look at, for instance, how they treat morality, whether there is a morality or not, or, or is it consistent? I think that is a big one nowadays because we don't live in a, time when everyone assumes the same things are always true. I mean, there's the big picture stuff. Yeah. You know, usually murder is kind of frowned upon. Unless the good guy does it to the bad guy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, like my my pet peeve, and I might mention this on this or world youth level, is whenever like, in order to be destroy the bad guy, he must become like the bad guy. I'm like, what? Then what's the difference? But there's a whole slew of movies that basically the only difference between the good guy and the bad guy is that the good guy is labeled as the good guy mm -hmm. because his methods aren't any different. His, you know, he might just be as scoundrelly as everyone else. And to me, that's just a weird thing, but something that you can point at certain movies and say, oh, wait, there's really no difference between the good guy and the bad guy, except he has, you feel emotion, you feel empathy for him. Yeah. And sometimes they play that well. Now, sometimes they'll use that way of doing things for like Daredevil. Okay. You know, mm -hmm. they purposely, they use ambiguity between Kingpin and Daredevil. You're, kind of ask you're talking about the Netflix the show. The Netflix show. Yes. To kind of raise the issue of, is Daredevil doing right? Uh-huh. And this was, you know, that's a kind of an interesting turn on the head. Actually, they did something really interesting with Supergirl like that just the other day. I mean... They did the red kryptonite story, which is a, a super. It's, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. It, it's it's a Superman classic. I guess they did it in Smallville, like for a season. Yeah, <laughs> where basically basically it makes Supergirl turn bad. Yeah, essentially. 
But it, it was a really kind of cool way to bring out when you see her go bad. I mean, it was only for an episode. Yeah. But it was a really cool way to bring out the contrast between what she's normally like and how much of a good person she actually is. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a good sense of there's a moral standard. Not that, you know, everyone has to dress a certain way to be a good person. <laughs> like Sup- Supergirl, nor- the, she normally dresses very conservatively. No, her, and then when all. Yeah. And then when all kind of tight dresses and stuff like that. <laughs> so it's not, it's not like good evil is something quite that simplistic. But the overall ideas are, uh, are prevalent. I mean, more obvious that way. I think the other thing where I, I where my worldview uh, antenna comes up, watch stuff, was where things become very chaotic. Like you feel like they don't have one. This would be my complaint sometimes on Once Upon a Time. Mm-hmm. That one episode you're not made evil, just born evil, and then another episode is like doing the littlest thing turns you like completely evil. You know, it's just. <laughs> or the other example, book from book version would be. Um, his Dark Elements, Golden Compass series. Oh, Phil Pullman. Phil Pullman. Okay. I remember Summer and I loved the first book. Second book was whatever. Third book just was like insane. Like it didn't even make sense as a book. Like in some ways his desire to basically kill God, which he actually does in that book, uh-huh. in some ways almost seemed, from my memory of it, derailed the plot itself. Like the, the, the entire logic of the plot just seemed to have it stopped making sense. It's almost like his worldview couldn't hold up what he was trying to trying to do. That was my that's my. It's been years since I've read, it, so I might be wrong. But it just it was very strange that it's like the closer you got to really trying to push what he really wanted to push, the less good the book became. <laughs> you know, this is obviously all from our very Christian yes. perspective. Yeah, and we tend to go back to the C.S. Lewis idea of like there is this very absolute morality that all of us kind of understand, even if we tend to deviate from it. Yeah. And that kind of standard, that kind of standard morality, I think fuels a lot of stories that the worldview would veer from Mm -hmm. Christian, you know, ideas. I mean, because there is still this moral truth, you know, even without getting into the ideas of God and Jesus and Mm -hmm. all this stuff, there's a central moral truth to things Things should go a certain way. Well, I think I think movies have this problem because dramatically they know that certain things make you feel good or bad. You know, kind of the shared morality. But sometimes it's against kind of the implicit worldview that the rest of the movie has. Yeah. But they have to save this person because it dramatically works, mm-hmm. even though it doesn't fit. <laughs> I mean, logically inside whatever is being portrayed, right? And I mean, and that's that's true though with people too. Oh, that no, it is. It just <laughs> to me, a work of art should be cohesive. Yeah, if it's done well. But I think sometimes we don't see our blind spots because. Because there are blind spots. Yeah, are blind. It, it's and very, it's everyone. I'm sure my stuff does the same thing. Yeah, it, it's very easy for us to stick true to one thing without realizing that we have this other thing that's inconsistent with, yeah. with uh, our own thing. You know, And people point that out about... It's easy to point that sort of thing out in like politics. You know? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> well, you probably because they're saying this now. Well, you did this earlier. And well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we did. Um, okay, what other thing about the audience's version of worldview... The morality thing is that's a big, that's big a big signpost. Yes, and and sometimes you can by studying a creator, you can see sort of like habits that they have, things they like to explore a lot, or, or ideas they yeah. like to explore. That, a lot. Obviously, they 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 root their their view on. Yeah, we were talking before the podcast started on J. Michael Straczynski mm-hmm. from Balan Five. He poured himself so much in Balan Five that you get a pretty good sense of the sort of view he has of humans 
and God and stuff like that. And he comes back to the the theme a lot in some of his other things, the idea of basically humans all kind of, we all sort of share the same, not consciousness, but same sort of destiny, same mm-hmm. sort of path. And we just need to kind of come together and work through our issues and then we will ascend into well, a higher... It was interesting. This morning I was looking at this uh, Asimov book I remember liking called uh, The Gods Themselves. And the full quote is... Um, Oh, I don't forget the full quote, but something like, can the gods themselves prevail against ignorance or something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, and like the 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 thing in the book is like the, what do you call that? The inscription at the beginning of the book? Oh, um, dedication? Dedication. Basically like in the hopes that we'll finally, you know, all, all be enlightened and be able to move. You know, this belief system that once, once we know enough, we'll have... Perfection. Perfection. Yeah. Which is really much, you get a lot of science fiction that has that inherently <laughs> in it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that was, Trzinski does that same thing in Babylon 5, in Rising Stars, that yeah. graphic novel series we read. And even though I haven't watched the series, just the very, the uh, base, the press, what I've heard about yeah. since eight, yeah. the Netflix series, it sounds very similar to some of the same. So ideas. you can tell that that's, and I think that's a very science fiction y worldview is that knowledge will somehow save us. Yeah. I mean, that was in some ways, um, Tomorrowland, to a certain extent. Yeah, no, there, there is some of that feeling in there. I mean, we liked certain we liked elements it, yeah. of Tomorrowland a lot, but, but there's definitely kind that of... That sort of optimistic humanism. Yeah, yeah. Um, and sometimes you get that vibe from uh, Doctor Who writers. Doctor Who has... Not as it, often. It's interesting. Moffat has more of the optimistic humanism. The, the Russell T. Davies had a weird, like, fatalistic optimism. <laughs> you know, like, that, like we're going to improve, but we're going to kill ourselves in the process. And we're, we're doomed for the, you know, the world ends, everything ends, this sort of not, this nihilism sort of deal. Mm-hmm. Russell T. Davies, if you read between the lines, the doctor's much more tragic in many ways. Yeah. And I think, well, if you ever watched, I only watched like an episode two of Torchwood. And it came on full scale, that sort of, I don't, I, I don't want to call it nihilism, but closer to that atheist existentialism mm. sense. Yeah, there's darkness, it's just that we're, we're kind of alone in the universe. Well, and a lot of, a lot of the modern stuff, the whole, you know, the whole, all the survival sort of mm. genres, this, which is not necessarily bad, but depending on how you frame it, either you come together and that's a good thing or, or life comes down to basically survival or not survival, this sort of Darwinian Yeah. And there's a lot, and this is more looking at from the outside and looking at someone else's thing, but it's very easy for Christians to see a God-shaped hole in a lot of stories. I remember saying that about the webcomic Order of the Stick, which Mm. has, has a pantheon of deities. But you never get the sense that any of them are inherently good. Yeah. Like they all have faults, and yet there's they all make 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 mistakes, and yet and then so they're good deities, but they're not great deities. <laughs> yeah. Whereas you d- very clearly have an evil presence, you know, evil deities and all this kind of stuff. And it's based in a, the webcomic itself is based in Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. which is not, you know, necessarily the most yeah. Christian thing in existence. Not saying that it's an occultish, I've yeah. played it before. But there is that God-shaped hole, that this absence of a moral good, a central moral goodness yeah. that I think is present in a lot of modern day works. You know, I don't watch enough like Christian movies, but I wonder if there's a very distinct worldview. I mean, like a an imbalanced worldview. If you watch certain types of Christian movies, like from you know, we're talking about a lot of things from the yeah. from the outside, you know, because we have a certain view and other things don't. Right. But I wonder if people watching Christian movies have a very I mean, some of the more uh, unbalanced movies. I I would imagine so. I mean, 
I think I've talked on here before. I watched Facing the Giants while I was in film school. Yeah. And while in film school, you watch a lot of different movies. And so you see a whole lot of different types. And in Facing the Giants, you do see this very imbalance of like, wow, he just did this one thing and things seem to be going pretty well for him. Like very borderline prosperity gospel, in my opinion. And I think a lot of other people was like, look, I tried to place my faith in God and it didn't turn out as easily as it seems to be for these people. I wonder, though, for all worldview movies, the thing I think we have to be careful of is that one movie... It's not, or one book is not going to capture an entire philosophy. No. And you really have to look at people, you know, if you're trying to... A spectrum of, the, of an author's work, Yeah, because, basically. you know, I was thinking the other day, I was reading something, or hearing, I think it was a podcast, but you talk about even the parables of Jesus, if you listen to just one, you have this very distinct view, but that's why it tells multiple versions. Oh, yeah. They have different, they have different emphases. Yeah, if, if you only heard the story of, um, was it, Lazarus and the... And the and the, and the rich, rich man, man, yeah, you would come off with like, wow, this Jesus guy was very fire and brim- brimstone. Yeah. Or if you only hear the prodigal son, you think, yeah. oh, I can do whatever and I'll I mean, be forgiven. Yeah, it's like you have one very scary story, one very re- redemptive story, but both came from the same person. And, and, and worldview is is big enough that you really can't, unless you're writing some sort of ridiculously epic novel, get most of one in. Yeah. Especially if you're doing, you know, more light stuff. You know, you're just doing a like a Mission Boss movie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you might get some in there, just the way they interact with, you know, some of your view of... International politics. In posi- or, <laughs> or, you know, just how you, you know, what sort of violence are you going to allow, you know, sure. that sort of, you know. Some very minor things. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's very true. So you really have to look at a creator's overall perspective. And usually as a creator makes more and more things, you start seeing those ideas. Yeah. Another one that we talked about another the other day was, say, Christopher Nolan. Yeah. Who you can tell, you don't, you don't, even if you don't know what it is, you can tell his is different than a lot of people's. Yeah. He's very interested in finding out what's real or what's, what's true. You know, that, that's a theme that comes up a lot, you know, whether it's Memento or Inception kind of, yeah. or even Dark Knight, you know, trying to, what's trying to decipher what's true and what's not, you know, that's not something all filmmakers like to wrestle with. Yeah. And you don't know where he is exactly on it either. Yeah, yeah. You, and maybe he doesn't know. It's possible. Because sometimes, and that's the other thing with art, you, it's hard to draw, you maybe shouldn't draw a too fast conclusion because sometimes the art is them working it out. Exploring. Exploring. Like, very few authors come to a piece of work saying, I know exactly what I believe and I'm going to make sure it comes through exactly right now. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I've done that and we can turn to kind of our own perspectives yeah, yeah. here as creators. Sometimes... I'll write something that's kind of reflecting my own internal struggles with yeah. something. I I put up a flash fiction on Facebook not too long ago that was like kind of me exploring like, well, what if I just won the lottery or just yeah. fantasize about winning the lottery? You know, what would, if that was my sole motivation, what would I come out like? And I wrote a short story that was kind of putting that flesh on that idea in a sense. I guess my, my, I guess my version of something like that would be that, Man, flash fiction. I think we read on here. Oh, at some yeah. point. You know, that's sort of like deep angst. Let's work it out in fiction. And then, you know, honestly, Stern and Fred, I work out through a lot of ideas. It's a very, it's like Nolan's in some way. Like, mm-hmm. how do these things, when I ram justice and love against each other, okay, yeah. how does it, how does it work out? Or when I, you know, when I ram one to help people versus law sort of stuff. Sure. And then I'm writing. I'm like, okay, wait, what would this guy do? And what would I want the actual outcome to be? Because that's, I feel my responsibility as a writer, not necessarily that all the characters be perfect, but 
that the work as a whole stands somewhere. Yeah. And that's because I'm not, I'm not necessarily postmodern. I don't necessarily want to just say, doesn't matter where I stand. Yeah. As long as I ask a question. <laughs> you know, and then some, some creators are very good at balancing things, like Aaron Sorkin for West Wing. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sorkin's philosophy itself is very, you know, he's very, you know, West Wing's very political. Sorkin's very liberal, from what I understand personally. West Wing is much more balanced. I mean, it's it's liberal to a certain extent, but he's he he's a, he does a good job of showing different voices. Yeah, some of these writers will, yeah, if they're in a situation where they want to give ample time to both voices, they will they will do that. Yeah, and that's that's a good example. Of, I know Josh Josh Whedon, yeah. um, who's an atheist, has also done that sort of thing though. Like I think I think Nathan or someone pointed out that in Avengers. Captain America says something about there being only one God and he's not dressed like Loki uh, or Thor, whoever it was at the time. And uh, people were surprised by that. But in the commentary, Joss said, well, but Steve Rogers probably would be Christian given his time period. And so that's a case of, or when he's writing the shepherd, you know, He'll, some of these writers, they will give voice to other people's perspectives, even if, you know, Firefly in general, even though yeah. he has a Christian character in there, it's not a very Christian well, show. Well, Jay Michaels does, I mean, he does a remarkably good job of doing Christian themes. Mm-hmm. Or like that monk that comes, and they'd worse with the whole forgiveness thing, that they had wiped oh, yeah. his mind. I mean... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not as if you're completely... You can't understand, you know, other people's perspectives yeah. as you're writing. You can. Just even in, even in that context, there's usually... You're making decisions. You're making decisions. That's yeah. that's the nature of it. Unless you don't believe anything, you just say, well, it sounds good if I do this, yeah. which I don't think is a good way to write. Yeah, that's probably true. So do we need personal examples or are we about? Well, I think we got time. Let's just do, let's just hit a couple more highlights. Okay. Because I thought it would be interesting since I've talked a lot about the lack of a, of a strong moral figure. I... I should say that I have actually tried to do that because it is important to me. Yeah. Uh, I have tried to do that in a couple of characters. There's a character, McCracken, that I've mm-hmm. written a yeah. story or two about. And when we did the story project, I think Jonathan Goodfellow was an example of this. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, and probably Dr. Zayacek, too, actually, from a different... Story project, I think, was one of the places we wrestled with a lot of these, in, without really meaning to a lot of these worldview sort of things, just because of... It was very based in... Real life. Yeah. Well, and it was a lot. It was, we they were could all, talk about God directly. It wasn't like a fancy novel. Right. And we were all sort of exploring yeah. you know, who these people were. We had Katrina come in. Or my wife made this very interesting character that had a very dark past. Had a very dark past and really worked interestingly against the other characters. Yeah. I know for some reason, I'm not sure why, but I like to create like really strong, prideful characters. <laughs> I got Lumicalos and Kalia. And I don't know what this is exactly, whether uh-huh. it's trying to understand how you would change such a thing or whether that's just you know mankind's evil from a christian point of view and maybe Mm. that's just my way of dealing with it i mean that that sinful nature is something you don't always get in heroic stories because you want them to be heroic sure but i know strin fred i wrestle with it for was especially from strin's point of view well and i noticed when thinking about this in a lot of my earlier stuff um well that being a relative term I dealt with the idea of redemption or repentance a mm-hmm. lot. When I wrote Revolution, I think both of my chapters, I had someone repent of something and Dr. Steiner does at the end of Destroyer. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's something that comes up. And I, maybe just because, whether because I thought, I haven't seen this in a whole lot of stories or just it's important in my That's own true. Christian walk. That's true. Like actual like scenes of real repentance was like, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Or I'm trying to redeem myself in a work sort of way, uh-huh. like a f- full on, like, I'm sorry, doesn't 
happen very often. No. And when it does, it's really pretty powerful. Yeah. When done well. Strangely, because he's the topic of the night um, in Babylon 5, Straczynski did that with Londo. Yeah. uh, Which was real. I mean, Londo and Jakar is one of the great, all-time great science fiction um, relationships, friendships. I think the thing with J. Michael, he does it so well because he understands humans well, to a certain extent. So they can, real apologies is part of humanity. And sometimes when we just gloss over deep seed ones, it's just like, I don't, I don't understand. Well, and it's, I, I commented this when I was talking about Divergent recently. Yeah. I, I don't know that forgiveness is an unusual thing. You don't see that come up, even forgiveness in a lot of things. No. Occasionally in an anime, you'll see someone be like, I can never forgive you for this. <laughs> but you never see it for like it actually happening. Yeah. And grace is, I think, is one of the most powerful Christian ideas. And uh, it'd be cool to see that explored more. I mean, that's one of our uh, favorite scenes from Lost, the the grace Oh, with when, uh, Ben with and... With Ben and Alana, which, I mean... Yeah. I'm not sure it's set up all that well, but it just works for some reason, because Michael Emson can sell it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But, okay, we, okay. We, we, need, we need to wrap this up, but do you have any other final... Uh, oh, for, oh from my point of view? Yeah, exa- yeah. I'm sure I should, but I don't know. Well, I've always talked about the... For some reason, I like my... like. This is not me personally, but suffering heroes... For some reason, that's a thing for me. Oh, like, yes. And I think that, that has to be born my worldview of, you know, Jesus as a suffering servant and all that stuff. And I think it just, it's just beautiful, if that makes any sense to me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, suffering that doesn't isn't meaningless. Like, that's what annoys me, you know, when I complain about things like Balthazar Galactica. It seems like half the suffering is there just, just for just, drama. Just for drama. It's, it's meaningless. It's just, yeah. yeah. So... Well, anyway, that's some of our uh, worldview ideas that are very important to us. Yeah. We've ranted for a while, and this will will be a lopsided podcast, but that's okay. That's fine. <laughs> and and worldview, obviously, we talk about you know we touch on it quite a bit, but I think it's worth you know having a podcast where we say, look, these are some of the big ideas that come through all kinds of TV, all kinds of books, and you know maybe you just be a little more aware of it. Or yeah, look for look for some of their telltale signs. I mean, some things are obvious, like how they treat religion or the yeah. afterlife or any of these things. But even just the, like the morality, I think, is what we talked about is a, a big one. And I won't, I won't expand on it, but, you know, how does redemption happen? Do you have to work through, you know, do you have to penance? Mm-hmm. You know, that's a big thing. You have to go through your own purgatory or yeah. is there just... Weekly hijack. Yeah. Why, <laughs> why do you do good things? Yeah. So these are all good questions to ask, not only in your own life, but of your uh, media. Yes. Taken. Don't just assume everything is true. Only on the internet, it's true. <laughs> all right. Um, so let's go to our first soundtrack. For today's soundtrack, I decided since we're talking worldview, I just look up world map in um, Overclocked Remix and see if I could find a nice song. From a video game world map? Yes. I, I thought you meant like a video game named world map. I don't know that one. <laughs> world map. No. Destroy it. Um, <laughs> no. Anyways, I stumbled across The Adventures of Lolo 3. I used to play The Adventures of Lolo, the first one. It was a great puzzle game. Um, with a with a song in it that basically just got it had like one song that I can remember that just got stuck in your head, and this this song partly has that and partly has a different song. But the other cool thing is done in marching band style, which I don't think I've done on this podcast yet. Probably not. So this is the Eggerlander March, a remix by Doc Nano. It's peppy. It's fun. Enjoy. 
Welcome back. Hey, that was that was nice and bubbly. And yeah, there's, there's a lot of uh, these creatures staring at us. I don't think they're used to listening to marching band music here in the Zocalome. Yeah, I don't but, know. I mean, the humans are used to it, but... It's a little odd, but... Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of people here. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, so anyway. let's just let's, let's go into our next section. What if? So for this section, we decided that we would take some person with a very distinct worldview and see what kind of story he would come up, or she, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Now, it's interesting because a lot, of, a lot of philosophers tend to, at some point, try their hand at some sort of story. You know, you got your Ayn Rand and your Camus and your um, Nietzsche. You know, they write parables and stuff. Oh, did you? I didn't yeah. know you wrote any parables. Okay. Yeah. Uh, if you ever listen to uh, Ravi Zacharias, there's one he says all the time. It's a great <laughs> one, but it's... <laughs> It's, it's he likes to retell it. Yes, it's very good. He's an itinerant pre- preacher, so he can do that. Yeah. But so you have an idea, Tim? For, let's see, for a philosopher who And would, or, you know, like, what if Oprah... Um, <laughs> well, Oprah's <laughs> been in some movies. Yeah, but she hasn't she written a movie, has she? Not that I know of, no. no. Be the secret. No, I, <laughs> I honestly don't. Oprah's a bad one. I don't know much about her actual philosophy. Actually, you know what? A Once Upon a Time would probably be her bag. I could see that. I can see that. This kind of vague-ish, Disney-ish <laughs> philosophy. Happy and probably some things about taking care of yourself. And uh, and just believing in family. Yeah, yeah. We should have done that in the story school. The belief in family is all over the place nowadays. In uh, having a family or being... In family being like the center of all things. Everything, yeah. That's, I wonder what that says about us as a culture, having these kind of mixed up families and not. I think we're. I think the. I think the. We're all kind of longing. Longing for, for it. Yeah. 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 But okay. Th- that's another topic. That's another topic. <laughs> um, okay. What about? And this may be uh, opening a can of worms. But Ooh, not we've ever done that here. <laughs> what about Sigmund Freud? Sigmund Freud. I already said that this is Evangelion. Is what he would write. <laughs> I don't. I, I, you you want to kill your father? Uh, you want to live inside a robot that is your mother? Uh, I don't know. I I feel like he would write some sort of, given the time period he was in, who doesn't really know anything about mechs, <laughs> I feel like he would write some really sappy melodrama about bas- well, soap opera, basically, yeah, about, it, about everyone sleeping with their parents. So and, it's like, it's like a, I've never seen Mad Men, but um, <laughs> that sort of era, everyone's sleeping around and... Basically. And, and the culture outside doesn't understand. Doesn't understand, and they have all these repressed side feelings, and... They find a break so yeah, free. basically any show on Lifetime. <laughs> <is it? laughs> that's, what, that's what Freud would write. Nice. <laughs> that's weird. Okay. <laughs> I think Freud has influenced some people more than, than is healthy. Yeah. <laughs> but okay, who else? Okay. Let's see. Okay, what about uh, Stephen Hawking? Stephen Hawking, okay. You well, it would it would certainly be some sort of sci-fi thing. Yes, I feel like you would be. Uh, who wrote two thousand one? I feel Arthur like, C. Clarke ish. I think it would be along those lines. Yeah, because like having some of the bits of Interstellar, but probably with a little less hope. Okay, yeah, probably a, a big threat of alien presence. Yeah, and he he would probably have some of that knowledge will save us mentality. You know that. Yeah, I feel like he would go along those lines. And so you might have a little bit of. Um, it's like if you had a. It would almost be like you, you. You could have some of the some of the big ideas of Doctor Who, but not any of the silliness. Mm, okay, maybe. Yeah. Or, like uh, like if you got an episode like you know more in line with like uh, Heaven Sent. Yes. 
yeah, with the billions and billions of you know it would have it would be a, a story on on long time scale yeah like where you're insignificant like have you ever seen contact no oh it'd be a lot like that contact um what's her name Jodie Foster was in it, but it was written based on a book by Carl Sagan. You know, billions and billions of stars. And, okay, I, I mean, it would be kind of that ish. I right. think that that sort of sense of scale and time and yeah, that one doesn't have a big scale. So I have more probably more interstellar scale of time. Okay, but some of that the idea of aliens and humans feeling alone in the universe, but finally finding someone who will... Because in some of those things, aliens are almost our savior. Like, we're all alone in the universe, and we're going to all blow each other up, except if someone with greater knowledge from across the galaxy would come and save us. Yeah, but not God. Not God, no. He's not around. No, like, Kosh, that would be fine. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, who else? Okay, do you know enough about B.F. Skinner, behavioralist, determinist? Uh, Basically, that environment determines... Everything that oh, there's not, okay. I don't think there's free will, right? Like, okay, you know, kind of Pavlov's dog, sort of. Okay, so, mentality. so you're you're talking about a, a character who is very kind of locked into his, his actions in. because of his the way he grew up and, and and just the environment around him. Boy, that philosophy pretty much writes itself, doesn't it? It's <laughs> in terms of the storytelling, I suppose, in the drama would be trying to break out of it and then just accepting it. I mean, almost like a stranger like, than fiction, but with a less hopeful ending hmm but it'd be sort of like trying to okay yeah i see where you're going you know, trying like, to de- you, deny your fate but then suddenly kind of see settling back into it i mean it's almost like a greek tragedy in the sense in yeah. the, uh, the sense that well we're destined to do it mm-hmm. and i have to just accept that and make them i i'm if you're bf skinner person and i'm misinterpreting them i'm i apologize but, <laughs> but i do know it's very environmental very mm-hmm. Or I suppose you could do some sort of story where, like, you throw them in a different environment and it changes, or oh, it changes who they. So maybe I don't so know. You take okay, maybe like a Truman Show sort of story. Maybe or maybe you'd do a choose your own adventure where you take the same person from oh. the same DNA, put them in one environment, and then put them in a different environment and see. Oh, interesting. How similar or the same? Maybe it's maybe it's like a set of twins. But like that, it like like it'll be called like um, double blind at the name of the. <laughs> but you know, it's like a Truman Show except there's two of them. Okay. Ooh, interesting. They're, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> if you watch them and try to influence, yeah, I don't know. But it would it would have to be one of those sort of deal. I think kind of experimental. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Okay. What about let's let's pick a politician. Politician. We, we picked on a lot of scientists yeah. so far. Um. Let's say. So we're not being current. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that'd be dangerous at this point. Uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Hmm. Annie. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of is true, actually. It really is. The the rich man taking care of the poor, and yeah. <laughs> okay, well, okay. fair enough. Okay, Or already done. <laughs> Let's see. Okay, how about... I don't know them all particularly well. Uh, okay, we, we picked on a lot of that probably differ from us. So yeah. maybe let's go um, someone who's a little closer. Although I don't know her real well, but the... British Prime Minister lady, Margaret Thatcher. Thatcher. Margaret Thatcher. You know much about Margaret Thatcher? Just that she's like the British Ronald Reagan. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, then should we go with Ronald Reagan? We then? can do both. We can do they, both. They, they co-write. <laughs> they co-write. <laughs> what would they write about? I feel like... Well, it would be it, optimistic. It would be optimistic. Well, and he, he knows movies, so... You know, I, I feel like Reagan would write a Western, honestly. You know what? Uh, yeah. Because he, it's that, like that boundless spirit that... 
Mm-hmm. He would be... Or an early version of like Apollo 13 sort of deal. Uh, okay. No American ingenuity the and know-how. And, and, yeah. I like the idea, though, of, of him writing something about... I don't know. If, if he it, was to write a Western, he'd be one where he was like standing up to the corrupt ranchers Yeah, or and something. it could take place in California. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. So... Yeah. yeah, I like that. Yeah, because it has a worldview. You know, it has the optimism and the you know the small man, the the common man who can who can you know, overcome the we're from the government. We're here to help. Yeah, <laughs> the scariest words in the English language. <laughs> I think he said that. Oh, did he really? Yeah, he says I'm like yeah. The scariest one, of the scariest thing in the English language is we're from the government. We're here to help. That's awesome. So yeah, man, I miss Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember Reagan really, but I me neither. I mean, okay, how about how? Yeah. Uh, well, let's do semi. <laughs> What did Putin wrote? <laughs> oh dear! Like um, some sort of like reboot of Tarzan? <laughs> what? He's always like riding bears and arm wrestling people. <laughs> no, no, but he's very much a straight. Like he's a like a power and like like manly man sort of like. I, bluff. I, I feel like he would he would create the uh, Russian version of Daniel Craig. I would just James think Bond. that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. like the very cold and collected but yeah like he's able to wrestle a grown yeah yeah they'd be perfect yeah (laughs) and very like authoritarian kind of yeah instead of you know promoting democracy very authoritarian you know because james bond he can can be in the gray a lot you honestly want to tweak him very much not really that's interesting kind of scary like i i wonder if uh here's a question what would be the difference between the Putin protagonist and the Trump protagonist. The Trump one would talk a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> He'd have all the the great put downs, the great yeah. one liners that'd be like, Bleh. and 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 honestly, I feel like the Putin protagonist would take care of it himself. Okay. And the Trump one would probably have people who could help him or do it for him. He'd have an army of minions, basically. Yeah. And okay, yeah, I can see that. No, he'd be awesome, and he'd be a winner. Yeah. I, I, Big winner, best winner. Yeah. Um, but um, I thought we weren't going. <laughs> it's hard to resist. It was too, too low hanging. <laughs> it really was. I know. It was mine. No, but it'd be. It'd be <laughs> <laughs> no, but it'd be, it'd be pretty interesting. But yeah, I do think the Putin one, he'd do it himself. Yeah. And he'd do it barehanded. Yeah. Except I feel like he'd also, the Putin one would also try to be like this mastermind chess master kind no, of thing. No, that's that, true. That'd be some of that but sort of thing. He'd get his hands dirty, but he would certainly have. You know, it'd be like one of those all the like the A team, all the moving pieces, just comes together. <laughs> yeah. Whereas or, or, Trump would be like the uh, Lance Armstrong, kind of like the bad Lance. guy from um, the bodybuilder, the, the newest uh, Mission Possible. You know how he he knew what everyone's going to do before they did it. Okay. That with the sort of aggressive, hands-on right mentality of like, a, I'm just gonna crick your neck yeah. myself. I'm not gonna leave it to yeah. He won't leave minions to it. He'll just do it himself. Yeah. 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 Okay. Interesting. He has he has agents that work for him, but not minions. I feel the funny thing is take away the uh, Russian trappings and put that character in a democratic setting. I bet it'd be a very popular movie character. Oh yeah, right now because we got a lot of authoritative desire at the moment too. Yeah. So that's true. Okay, should we do one more? Do we have time for one more? Oh yeah. If we can think of it. Yeah. Let's see. Who's another outspoken? Like Gandhi. Gandhi. If uh, Gandhi wrote a story, I feel like it'd be like one of those dramas. Like those Oscar-winning drama, Academy yeah. Award-winning dramas, or something along the lines of Siddhartha, but a, a man who would like go on this long journey, but then basically come to this sense of inner peace. But the thing is, his inner peace would then make everyone else 
like there'd be all this conflict around him. Okay. Uh-huh. And then it would help calm other people's oh okay. you know, because he wasn't just himself, he was, you know, trying to make social change. So it'd be sort of like an uh Asian version of pay it forward. Did you kind of, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Very zen and Very everyone zen. like comes to a greater understanding just through the example of the one man and yeah. et cetera. Uh, that would sell too, actually. It probably would. It, like you said, Oscar winner, definitely. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Bill Gates. Bill Gates. Well, that's an interesting one because on one hand, he was kind of a, you know, he is a techie. Yeah. But he's not as... I don't feel like he feels like technology will solve all things. It's certainly very helpful. Yeah. You know, he's giving, he's very philanthropic mm-hmm. in lots of ways. Yeah, I don't know. that He's a tricky one because I don't necessarily know his philosophy too yeah. much. I, he has... He's a very professional business type yeah, person. He, he doesn't have the aura around him, say, like Steve Jobs does. Right, right. Steve Jobs would almost have the same sort of zen, sort of like, I don't know, maybe maybe it would be about a, a man, sort of like that movie Her. Have you heard about Her? I think that's what it's called. Basically about a man who oh, falls in love phone, with yeah, his computer. Phone, yeah. You'd have something like that, some sort of, Steve Jobs, I feel like it'd be a very cool, clean sort of exploration of the inner workings of man and his his relationship with technology. And I think there was there had to be some sort of thing about efficiency, about moving things. Declutter and declutter, uh, like pro. You know the the science fiction idea of that progress happens. Yeah. You know, and it it is moved forward by man and his t- machines. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, a th- and it's not a thing to be afraid of. Yeah. As, as long as you are, it's something to control. to wrestle and take hold. It almost like I mean, actually, sounds a little bit like Anne Ran the Fountainhead, which is very much about man creating things out of himself. To better people, but he doesn't do it for the people. Who does it because it's it's his vision and mm. it's pure. Interesting. We're coming up with some very deep ideas here yeah, for yeah. other people. For, for other get get Ryan those guys. <laughs> um, who's someone who's like news all the time? I, I wanted to. I was about to think of try to think of some creative person, but they are they're always making are, stuff up. Are, yeah, already are storytellers. <laughs> like, what if Miss Piggy made it? No. <laughs> Uh, Miss her philosophy. <laughs> Miss Piggy would make a movie starring herself that's all about herself. herself. Yeah, so that's and not. It would be kind her worldview is very insular. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, at her best, she she's learning in the recent yeah. show. She's learning to reach out to other people more. But yeah, yeah. okay. So if like Pepe may know, <laughs> <laughs> no, don't go there because of love. <laughs> um, I was I was trying to think of like a uh, like a nature conservationist. I thought of Steve Irwin, but he made a movie. Did he? The Crocodile Hunter. Oh yeah, yeah there was a Crocodile Hunter movie. Okay, well that's about himself. That's different than making a movie based on your ideas. Well, okay, that's true. But I don't know. I mean, most of your conservationists say the same thing basically about yeah. protect, protecting nature. So it'd probably wind up just being some sort of nature documentary. Yeah, honestly, unless you had the crazy ones, and then it'd be Fern Gully. <laughs> that's true nature basically taking over mankind or um uh the happening yeah <laughs> true m true. night i don't i don't get m-, m nights all over the place well i guess actually if you really wanted to look at a conservationist the closest one that actually does it well would be miyazaki that's true and, 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 and it comes out very strongly in his yeah this um Respect and almost admiration for nature right but at the same time he actually still manages to include the idea of we can Man live, has to learn to live we, along with we, nature. Yeah, that there is a there is a give and take. Yeah, and there's hope for actually doing it. Yeah, there's a hope for a truce of a sense. Yeah, not yeah. like a day after tomorrow sort of deal. <laughs> yeah, where it's like you had your chance, you're, you're done for dead. It. Yeah, 
which I guess is also basically all of Roland Emmerich's movies. Well, too. yeah, but that's, I don't know if that's so much worldview as... I like doing disaster movies. I like doing disaster movies, exactly. <laughs> all he has in mind. <laughs> I like disaster movies. <laughs> It's that simple. Okay. Okay. Uh, musician. Let's, oh, ooh, nice. We need, to, we need to do one musician one real quick, which, again, some of them have done movies. David Bowie. Yeah. Uh, which is, he was in charge of that movie, though, was he? What? Oh, he, he was a contributor to that, wasn't he? Uh, You mean Labyrinth? Yeah. I think so. I feel like he's done... Well, I mean, I guess sometimes they're trying to tell stories through their music videos. Yeah. So there's a little bit of that. So probably, because... And I don't know if this most worldview is just their artistic style. It would be less... It'd be more less impressive, more impressionish, impressionistic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> impressionistic. But yeah, yeah, most likely. And that's I, yeah. I don't know how much of that is worldview and how much of that is just how they think of story. Yeah, that's probably true. I mean, I know Jim Henson himself liked to lean toward the abstract. Yeah, as much as he could. Which I guess that is partly a worldview too. How much, how much content you think is necessary? Yeah, if you're if you just kind of have this. You have this vague kind of spirituality, and you don't you don't really feel the need to go into specifics about things. Yeah, so yeah, that tends to kind of and, and you, spark that sort of thing. You feel, and I don't know if it's true, but you feel like musicians tend to be more that way. Yeah, and that may not be a true statement. Well, I, I mean, know. it would make sense. You know, music itself is more abstract anyway. Yeah. See episode sixty three. Yes, just a few. Ba- yes, <laughs> a while ago. But okay, I think that's enough. All right, Henry Ford. No. <laughs> Uh, he would be like the the crank him out sort of thing. Probably. Yeah, he's just like he has a, his three act structure, and then he changes a couple characters, and boom, boom. <laughs> Thomas Edison would be the like he would be the Disney of today. Like I want to own everything. And then Tesla would be like the the in, indie artist, basically. Were, but like the really cool one that mo- like half the people still really like that's so psychedelic. You know, <laughs> probably probably Nolan before he was before popular. he was mainstream. Well, I, I guess I only say that because he actually had Tesla in one of his in one of his movies. Yeah, there's some other filmmakers that would probably sure. like David Finch. I think. Oh, is, that's true. Is very yeah, I don't know there. him very well. But now I say the name. Yeah, yeah. there's there's some directors out there I know have that reputation that don't come readily to mind because I don't care about that kind of thing that yeah. much. Yeah. <laughs> that's just my tastes, partly because of my world. But the view. thing is, whoever it is would have to have slightly not just strange but slightly uh, outworldly. You know, BC. You know, Tesla had. X-rays and death rays and yeah, car, you know. Well, then you're getting to uh, whoever was the Scientology guy, L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah. Which, oh, so so you're talking about Battlefield Earth? <laughs> yeah, basically. Oh man, I read a book on L. Ron Hubbard. Did I they ever talk about that here? I don't know. I think he did. Oh man, insane. It's well, his, just, go what? read Going Clear. I guess it was a documentary based on the book. Okay, it's nuts. Anyway, I'll just leave it that. <laughs> well, Scientology is basically a sci-fi novel in itself, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> But worse. I mean, I mean, I knew it was weird. I read this, but it just like every page is like, what in the world? <laughs> it just it blows the mind that people are like that. Anyways, all right. Well, we're going way long, so let's, let's wrap this thing up. All right. So, if you would like to leave us uh, death threats about our uh, slamming on all other worldviews, <laughs> we're trying to be respectful. But hey, we have our own perspective. So uh, please uh, send it to another email besides ours. But you can uh, see our blog at derailtrainsofthought.blogspot.com. Um, you can subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher and YouTube. You, yeah, I mean, the angry comments go best at YouTube, from what I understand. That's so. true. They, they, mm-hmm. they seem to go very well there. And then otherwise, uh, there's some guy walking around here, and everyone's starting to cheer, and like, I don't know, I guess he was dead. So I think that's just weird, and we should probably get out of here. And some people have 
some of these aliens have given us some pretty dirty looks. Like, I think we disrespected maybe their own perspectives and we were talking about this. Yeah, but everyone lives good here on this space station, don't they? We all get along? They, Isn't that the whole point? Well, we, when we got here, you know, there was that thing, there was that placard that said, welcome to the last best hope for peace. Yeah, so... so we well, should we, be good. Yeah, well, yeah, nothing bad can happen here. So. Yeah, I, I would agree. So, um, Tim, soundtrack. My soundtrack. This is from the uh, OC Remix album, Super Cartography Brothers, which <laughs> is a bizarre name. album. Yeah, like where they basically just did a whole bunch of electronic music versions of the world maps from various Mario games. <laughs> I don't know what inspired them to do this, but they did it. This is called It's a New World, remixed from the Super Mario World overworld map, I guess, and done by Rob KTA. So I hope you enjoy. It's very groovy. So uh, as we groove out of here, this has been Tim. This is Nick. Bye-bye. Adios. If you go to Zahadu, you will die. <laughs>